1: Looking for it. Success usually comes to those who are too busy looking for it. That's from Henry David Thoreau, and he's one of my favorite writers, and I love, I love that quote. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this Saturday, June 24th, off the shelf to our loyal listeners. We had it for 18 years, 18 years off the shelf, been going, started on radio, moved over to podcasts. Uh, we started at Rainbow Soul. I loved being over there. They had a smooth jazz, and then we would come on with uh, Off the Shelf, but headed for 18 years. For our loyal listeners, again, thank you. If this is your first time tuning in to Off the Shelf, I want to tell you that you, yes, you are listening to the Winning Book Podcast, Off the Shelf Books. We have a wonderful author on deck for you and excited to introduce her to you. When I'm researching for the shows, the questions I come, coming up with questions to ask the guests, it's always something about them always intrigues me and interests me, and I always look forward to the interview. But before we get to that one, I, I recently released a book, Hill Gorgeous Wisdom Within You Knows the Way. And it's a book of poetic writings, and it really talks about the one true self. We often have that internal uh, conflict where we want to do something, but something like something in us says, No, you can't, or you look dumb, or people laugh at you. You got to keep forging ahead with the, the that what you know you really should do, what's good for you. Till we become like this one whole complete, just your one true self. Once you we meet our one true self, I mean life really really takes off then. So I encourage you. It's it's, it's there are like proverbs, short stories, poems, things that really lower your defenses, but you can really start to see. Uh, 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 the truth in some of the writing that comes through And I encourage you to get a copy of Hill Gorgeous, Wisdom Within You Knows the Way uh, By Denise Turney And you can get it in ebook, paperback Or in hardback So please go treat yourself to a copy of Hill Gorgeous today And now, let us go and meet our very special Off-the-shelf book's guest And today's guest is Kimberly Sullivan Kimberly worked in journalism and government in the U.S., Czech Republic, and Austria. Today she makes her home in Rome. Oh, my goodness, that's a place I have romanticized Italy for years. And while in, in Rome she works in international development and she writes fiction She's a member of the Women's Fiction Writers Association and the Historical Novel Society. She has written short stories and novels, and amongst her novels there's The Dark Blue Waves*, Drink Wine and Be Beautiful, which was slated for release just just last month, May, uh, Three Coins, and In the Shadow of the uh, – uh, she's going to have to maybe correct me – at and I encourage you to check Kimberly Sullivan out online at kimberlysullivanauthor.com. And I will spell it. K-I-M-B-E-R-L-Y-S-U-L-L-I-V-A-N-A-U-T-H-O-R.com. I'm going to do that one more time. K-I-M-B-E-R-L-Y. S U L L I V A N A U T H O R dot com, Kimberly Sullivan Author dot com, and I think you're going to love her website. It's just delightful. She has these intriguing, beautiful pictures of Rome. I enjoyed the time I spent there, and we're just absolutely honored to have Kimberly Sullivan on Off the Shelf this morning. Welcome to Off the Shelf, Kimberly.
0: Thank you so much, Denise. I'm so honored to be here. Thank you for inviting me, and congratulations for 18 years. That's a, a real achievement for the, for the program.
1: Oh, well, thank you. You know, I just thought of this. Uh, we have had guests come on international, most in the U.S. What time is it there?
0: So we're six hours ahead of East Coast time, so it's 5 o'clock. And you're I'm lucky. Not- I'm at home today. There was a big demonstration that goes by my house like every Saturday because that's what people do in Italy. <laughs> so there was lots of noise. Now it's quiet, luckily. So <laughs> timing is perfect. Oh,
1: okay, because we've had people tune in. They're like, oh, it's 2 o'clock in the morning here, or it's 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, oh, my God.
0: <laughs> No, you were so much kinder with me. Thank you, Denise.
1: <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm glad it's not so uh, – because we usually do it at like 8, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time uh, New-, um, New York City for U.S. It's just a pleasure to have you. And again, I love v- visiting your website. I encourage people to go over there. They can go over there now, even as they listen to the interview and learn more about you and how you got started in the writing and your books. So, but to the first few questions, I ask every guest who comes on, just to give our mm-hmm. listeners a little backstory on the guest before I start talking about their books. So, Kimberly, can you please tell our off-the-shelf listeners where you grew up and what life was like for you growing up?
0: Yes, thanks, Denise. Um, I grew up in, in America, so in the suburbs of, of Boston, and then when I was in middle school, we moved up to um, upstate New York, to Saratoga Springs, New York, which is close to Albany and close to the Adirondack Mountains. So uh, I did move a bit more, but those I'll say, are the two big, big places where I, where I lived growing up and um and yeah no i when i look back at, at childhood and having grown up i think it was really an idyllic time especially looking at it as an adult you now back there because i think of the lovely summers that we used to have lazy summers and being able to have all of that free time for imagination, and I loved to swim, so I would be pretty much a fish all summer long, figuring out how <laughs> between being in a pool or a lake or someplace, and always a stack of books that I wanted to read, so that was something that I, that I truly enjoyed about childhood, and when I look back at certain things, I don't know, I, this is how I feel, I don't know how you feel, but when I look at this, um, I think we were kind of lucky not to have... All of the electronic devices that kids have today, because I just remember having a lot of time for imagination, going out and playing, being out all day. <laughs> Your parents would send you out in the morning, and you wouldn't come back until dinner time. So, yeah, I think that those are some of the nice memories that I have of childhood. I kind of miss that freedom.
1: I agree with you. Oh my goodness, kids! Now, some people like where I work; they they get they have their kids involved in sports, and their kids are involved in things where they have to be outside and so yep. it's it, some of it is parenting but at, by large i see that kids they don't come out you I, I may see them out playing for if they're out an hour a day, that's like a lot. We used to be out for hours.
0: I, <laughs> I don't think we were allowed back in. I don't know if you had the same experience oh as the experience of most of the kids my age. You were you were gone. <laughs> come back. Yeah, get out of here.
1: You did, uh, we did our chores and then go outside and your friends come knock on the door. Can so and so come out and play? And then you go outside <laughs> and you stay out for the rest of the day. That was wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> now you said you loved the books. So when you were a little girl, Kimberly. What what did you dream though what did you dream of becoming when you grew up
0: Well, I think that when I was really young and and really a bookworm, I mean, excitement for me was definitely going to the library and picking out my books or as a treat being able to get books in a bookstore that I would choose. I really loved it. And I I did want to become an author when I was was young, Um, probably through maybe junior high or so, because I used to do some writing contests for schools and things like that and and uh, participate in those but then I got very interested in in politics and started working in politics fairly young and I really loved history so so undergraduate I studied political science and history and then I got very interested in being a journalist so I worked a bit in politics and then as a journalist and just life took me in a different direction obviously I've been living abroad for many years working in international relations but finally I said you know what I want to go back to do what I wanted to do when I was a kid and um, so I started publishing uh Three years ago, back in 2021, I had been—I had joined a writing group. I had uh, joined the Women's Fiction Writers Association, Historical Novel Society. So I was very interested in doing this. But, but then when I decided to publish, I, I really haven't looked back then. So I'm really very enthusiastic about um, indie publishing, self-publishing, and also having a full-time job. So I, I, I think you can do both. At least I found the balance for me. I'm I'm, I'm truly enjoying it.
1: You you can you can do both, uh, and a lot of writers do. But it's if if you're going to come out with a lot of dip, if you want to keep your career going, I think as a writer, whether you do it part time or full time, you got to keep writing and publishing and marketing and promoting Absolutely. your new books. And it takes time and energy. Absolutely,
0: that's true. That's true. <laughs> You better really
1: – whatever it is you do, you have to really love what you do. I don't care what it is because you're going to invest yeah. a lot of time and energy in it generally. Um, who or what inspired you? Was there a reader in one of your parents? Or I have a reader, a teacher. Who or what inspired you uh, to birth your love for books and inspired you to pursue writing?
0: Well, I think that especially growing up, um, uh, my mom was a teacher and a librarian, so that also yeah. helped with the, yeah with the books and everything. And then I think that yeah, there was a lot of emphasis on reading in 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 schools. I think when I was when I was growing up, and I think that I always did have good librarians and teachers who did that, so I did grow up loving it, and continued to. And then, yeah, I think one of the nice things was when I decided uh, here in Rome that just because I wanted to start with a hobby, something outside of work and something outside of other family commitments, when I started joining writers uh, groups here in in Rome, in Italy, um, and started, I started off publishing short stories. So that's how I kind of got into writing, and then, of course, once you have a writing community, as you know as a as a fellow author, you know it, it's so helpful because you can bounce ideas off of someone, you bring your writing, they give you different insight, you learn things, so you know I think that my writing groups are very, very important to me, and uh learning how to get better, learning how to improve you know having your first set of beta readers to look at your work i mean that's something that uh, I think is continues to be inspiring because we always need that kind of community.
1: Yes, yeah I, I so agree. And c- kudos to you for going. You said you went back to what you knew you wanted to do when you were a kid and you had the courage and you went back and, 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 and did it. Uh, and we're going to start in a, just a few more questions talking about your book so people can see what came of your, your pursuing that, that something you want to do since you were a little girl. But I have to ask you this because you live in Rome used to live in the US so you and we've had guests on who've lived in several different countries. What was it like mm-hmm. working in journalism and government in the US, in the Republic, in Austria, and how do you think that has affected your writing?
0: Oh well I would I would definitely say a lot because that comes into my writing a lot also. I mean most of my books tend to be set set abroad and I, I really love that aspect of learning more about yourself by living elsewhere and speaking in a language that's not yours, right, and having customs that aren't yours. So I think that it always, since I tend to write women's fiction, which is very much about um, the discovery of self and, you know, your your personal journey too and, and growing stronger that way, I think that it 's quite interesting how you can play that off in another culture that's in, in another language. I think that that can that can be an interesting entry point for misunderstandings, for learning about yourself, for reevaluating and, and looking at things. So for me personally um, I think that I, I use that a lot in my writing. But um for me yeah I know I've I've I'd had gone back and forth between Europe as a as a kid I did have relatives not in Italy but in, uh, in in Germany and Austria so I had been and I loved French so I had always been going to France which I loved um so it was exciting when I decided to move here And um, when I was in college, I was studying political science and history, and that was the time that the the wall was coming down, the Berlin Wall. (laughs) So, you know, all of Europe was changing. And um, I was going to start off because I had interned a lot in journalism in the the U.S., and I was going to – I used to work as a television journalist. I was going to start in a small station in the U.S. But I said, oh, this is such an exciting time. I wanted to. So when I graduated, I moved over to what was then Czechoslovakia uh, in Prague, and it was just such an exciting time to be there. And, in fact, I started in radio and then worked in television there, and I lived there for three years and just saw so many changes. So I, I'm very happy that I decided to, to do that. And I, I love life in the U.S., but I also love life in Europe, and um, it's, been, it's been such a nice experience.
1: Oh, good for you! Oh my goodness, you know people who travel and live abroad, and that's something I gotta just before I—that's on my bucket list. So, to, to, it—it—it, it, I really think it changes you. The more different cultures people you see, your mind just opens Absolutely. up more and more and more. Um, did your did your journalism work? Because when I think of a journalist, a lot of journalists have to cover stories sometimes in another country. Did that mm-hmm. did that make it easy to travel to the different countries cuz you're going there you know you've got you're not just going there and saying whatever happens happens you're going there on an assignment to complete work did that make it easier to travel to these different countries
0: well, yeah. When I was a journalist, and I was, of course, living there, and you know, had to work in the language, and had to do it. So that was that was very exciting. And, and now, of course, that I work in inter- international development, I travel to countries because we do development projects in. Um, you know, largely I work in uh, Sub-Saharan Africa, Near East, uh, Asia, a little bit less Latin America, but so I've also traveled for work there, and that's that's more that I'm living here, and then we'll travel there, so that's a little different from living there all the time. But, of course, it's a great experience because you learn so much. You get to meet a lot of different people. You get to see that things are completely different and in a different environment, which I think is always good for us, right, the things that we think – are the way you see do things and how things should normally be completely different from region to region country to country and i think that that's it's good for us to stay flexible right about how things how things work and and uh you know how you get something done so uh, yeah it's always been a part of my life i love working in an international environment i love traveling i mean i just also enjoy traveling in my in my free time um and yeah with my when my our kids were growing up they're a little bit older now they're teenagers now but you know we've always traveled with them and i think that kind of exposure is very good
1: uh, oh my goodness here you are a journalist traveling living in different countries your perspective Whether we start to talk about your books, I'm sure this shows up in your writing. Even if you try to keep it from doing so, you probably can't help it. If you have to show up, (laughs) I wouldn't be able to. And your characters, (laughs) they probably are so well developed and have so much depth. So, to talk about one of your first books, can you give us an overview of your novel, Three Coins?
0: yeah well three coins i i should say denise right off that i am uh, someone who um kind of steals all of my titles my titles of books <laughs> come from something else so three coins as you might imagine I don't know If you know the 1954 film three coins in a fountain it was a big hollywood production about uh, three women who come to work in italy in rome and uh, this would have been right after obviously World War Two, and they come to work when uh, the Marshall Plan was really here and they, they needed a lot of uh, American staff and they come over as secretaries and they work here in Rome and um, And they all find love interest in in Rome. Uh, And I said, well, it's kind of fun because I love that film. It's interesting. It's a very 1950s production, really beautiful, absolutely beautiful production, all these scenes of Rome. And I said, well, it's kind of fun to explore that with three modern women who come to Rome for some reason. Uh, They're three very different women, uh, different stages of life, different, uh, you know, different family circumstances, different financial, uh, economic levels, and uh, they're kind of thrown together at an off-season beach resort, and no one else is in the town, and they they all need a little break. And so they, they wind up, actually, these three very different women who all live as expats in Rome. Becoming fast friends, and it's a friendship that they need at that stage of life, which is kind of a low for all of them. So, it it is a little bit like I, I use the film as the example. In fact, they they meet at a showing because it's raining in this beach town in the winter, and they see this. Uh, they they show this film, this Three Coins in the Fountain. It gets them talking about life and about this. So, it's really following these three women and the kind of unusual friendships that they, that they form, but that comes, you know, how this happens when you meet friends at the right time in your life, when you, when you really were, were, fortunate to meet them. And so, uh, yeah, that was a fun one because I enjoyed, uh, I enjoyed playing with the roles from women in the 1950s and kind of reflecting what has changed, what hasn't changed and, and looking at all of those aspects. So that was, that was my first novel, Three Coins.
1: Oh my goodness. Are and there are these women. Um, well, let, well, here, here. Let me go with a good question I was going to ask. So, could you introduce us to Emma, and what is mm-hmm. she like? What's her personality? Her strengths. Her weaknesses. Tell us about Miss Emma
0: yeah well, poor Emma, when we meet her i mean she's she might be considered a little bit privileged because she she's very she's married a wealthy italian um plastic surgeon plastic surgeon to the stars, so you know she's had kind of a privileged uh life in Rome and she has three children but but her husband isn't very faithful and he tends to um find very young women that he are his clients and then become uh. his lovers so when we meet Emma, she's at a, she's at a pretty low point because uh, she's going through this difficult divorce. Her husband is much more interested in his young conquest than he is in having any kind of relationship with his children, and they're suffering too. So, so we meet her at that, at that low point, and her daughter has just been in trouble at school, and they're, you know, she worries that she might get expelled. So, yeah, she is, uh, she's, she's really not in a good place. And then uh, we meet a very different character who is another American living in Rome called Tiffany. Tiffany is very young and very beautiful and um, has a desire to be, this is a very typical thing. In Italy, you have these um, television shows where the women dance very scantily clad on the television shows and that's kind of their role. It's called the Velline. And her dream in life is to be a Vellina on Italian television. So so she's also having difficult time with that because as you can imagine you're expected to exchange things for <laughs> for these slots. So she's uh facing her own problems with that, with men taking advantage of her and, and kind of wondering what she's doing if she's being very superficial and she is a, she is a bit superficial um so that's how we we see her at the beginning and then uh on an, uh, then anarita is uh, italian american so she comes from yonkers outside of new york city from a strong italian american family with italian american values and she was supposed to marry um you know a friend of the family their son it had been decided from when they were basically in diapers and so Since she jilts him and runs away to live in Rome and to have a a life there, uh, her family is quite angry with her, but, you know, Rome is an expensive city, and she's kind of scraping to get by and teaching English to very spoiled, uh, wealthy Italians, and she's not very happy with her life. She's having a difficult time meeting men are meeting all the wrong men and her mother is, is of course putting pressure on her to get married. So, uh, so all of these women have kind of hit this point where kind of catastrophic things happen to them and they all just need to get away. So this is why they all find themselves at this uh, beach resort off season because they've really reached a breaking point. And so even though they're very different women, in speaking and in getting to know one another and, and spending time together they they understand uh that in each of them and yeah. yeah and slowly they it's not a fast friendship, but slowly as they build their friendship and and uh get an idea of what they want to do with their lives it uh it extends from there and there's also some romantic elements too, so that's uh it's a kind of women's fiction and a bit of romantic elements
1: What year... So this is in 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 Italy. What year is this? Is the story set in? What time period?
0: So, yeah, it's set a contemporary, but it's it's taking place around twenty. I had it around twenty fifteen. Okay. So pre COVID, fun. Is it is it
1: is, is are in, were families like in Italy still doing
0: arranged marriages? Is that? Oh, this was actually Italian American. This was back in New York in Yonkers wasn't quite an arranged marriage but it was that the families were kind of pushing them together, right, to date oh. and so they were kind of expecting it. Yeah, so I sometimes the um the, the communities can be stronger with these things in America than they are than they are here, yeah.
1: Interesting. Now what attracted Emma? Has she ever worked on her own or had her own dreams? What attracted her to her ex husband, Dario Rinaldi? What 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 was it about him? Um, I know you said she's somewhat superficial, but when they first met, did she become that way? Was she always that way? What attracted uh, them together? And did she know he was stepping out on her the whole time and she just turned the, <laughs> turned the other way?
0: Yeah, no, she she reflects on this a bit in the book because obviously it didn't start off that way, right? It had been a long marriage and it, and it became – no, she had been very ambitious because she had gone to – Yeah, in Princeton undergraduate, then she went to do her master's degree at Georgetown, and she was doing, in fact, an internship in Rome at the American Embassy for uh, for a summer when she meets this handsome young Italian medical student. And, of course, he was very different at the time. They were both very idealistic, and uh, he used to volunteer as a plastic surgeon, Uh, with programs like um, Operation Smile and things that do pro bono work in many developing countries. So they were going together to Africa and India and everything and working, and she was working on development aspects, and he was working there. So yes, they used to have a very different life, but he entered into um, celebrity (laughs) operations instead and started getting wealthy and, and, and began to change as a person. Oh, and, and she and was quite so, busy with the kids, and things were moving along, but she didn't quite realize everything. So, yeah, life life changed them, I think.
1: Uh, you know, I love when I love when writers show that because it's life. But I also you also want to sometimes hold to this romanticizes romanticize life so that it starts sweet and it stays that way. But it's amazing <laughs> how we change as different people come in and out of our life and different experiences. to So you look back decades and you're like, oh, my God, I've changed so much in the last five years or ten years. It it shocks even you. So Emma didn't start out the way uh, she became, and then neither did her her husband. So I just had to ask you this, though. She didn't see the changes happening where she could try to uh, steer it or maneuver it so it didn't. What what came of their relationship? To avoid it, there was nothing she could do.
0: Or? Yeah, no, it's a good question. I I think in her case, um, she they have three children, so a uh, daughter and and twin sons. So she was very active, uh, taking care of the children, and he didn't have such an active role. So she got very busy with that. She stopped working, and you know she just. I, I think as many as many women as many mothers do start dedicating all of the time to the family and then not noticing and and probably he was a little bit um clever at least in the beginning how he, how he was handling i don't know work conferences or things that he would go off but yeah unfortunately they did um yeah it did get to the point where there there wasn't much to be done at that stage, and so she has to handle the next stage. And, in fact, all women kind of do look at their lives, including Emma. And so uh, an old friend does enter back into it. So she, she might have a chance for, for happiness again.
1: So, okay, when Emma, Anna Rita, and Tiffany meet at this resort,
0: are they mm-hmm. all
1: single at the time? Is Emma going through the breakthrough? Are all of them single? And is Emma the only one who has been married?
0: Yes, she is the only one who has been married. Tiffany is, is, is quite young um, and has not, and she's only interested in very wealthy men who can get her into television, like producers and things like that. So obviously she's looking <laughs> at men who are uh, might not be the ideal partner, and poor Anarita is just going after men and kind of doing everything for them. But they might not be the right men for her either. So they, they haven't all they haven't been particularly lucky in love, all all three of them. So this is another thing that helps them a little bit to to seek together to work things out too, you know, as, as, as girlfriends do with one another to talk about things and bounce things off of them and uh, and to also make the changes that they need to do for, for themselves to move forward.
1: Emma could be such a help. Oh, when you just talked about <laughs> Tiffany in particular. Oh, my gosh, you can sit her down. Let me tell you something, sister. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness, Toy so sounds three coins off the shelf, listeners, three coins. Oh, how interesting. These three, When these three women get together and their experiences, hopefully they will listen to each other and yeah. they can save each other a lot of heartache. Uh, are there any I wonder <laughs> if always the case, so? <laughs> Oh, yeah, they could. They could and, and this is a story that could, uh, uh, again, this is what I love about fiction. Your defenses are lowered, and you might see yourself in one of the characters, and it could help you make sure. a better decision. Uh, can you introduce us to any of the other, maybe just two more, major and minor characters who helped to move the story three coins
0: forward? <laughs> Uh, some of the major and minor characters in, in, in always in three coins yeah, yeah no mean um, like
1: two two other characters two other can't miss don't want to turn away from characters major and minor in the story
0: sure 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 um well okay i can say that for instance anarita uh is very influenced when she is in Sperlonga, she's uh, in this uh beach resort she is very influenced by uh an older woman whom she meets there and who sees a lot of similarities with her and perhaps how she behaved when she was younger with men. So she's able to point out certain um, ways that perhaps uh, Anarita is sabotaging herself by always selecting the wrong men. And so uh, that's a minor character that she becomes very close to because they both love to cook. Anarita's real passion is not teaching English to (laughs) to spoil, she loves cooking. And so they they create this bond, even though this woman is uh, in her 80s. But they, they have a real bond and they're able to talk about things and, and also from, you know, some experience, uh, the, this 80-year-old woman, um, she is able to also help uh, Anarita a little bit to, to understand how how things are. And, of course, you know, not being someone within the family or something, she's able to come out externally and, and tell her certain things about mistakes that she's made. Um so with Emma, uh, she is having a difficult relationship with her daughter who's 16, and she's trying to protect her because, you know, the father's kind of abandoned them. He's Once they divorced, he's not living there anymore. He's not very interested in them, and, um, you know, he's got a very active dating life, and so, you know, this is also the mother-daughter relationship in the teenage years, which is already difficult, but her teenage daughter is taking a lot out on her, so this is also something that she has to, to work through. And, um, Emma also has a very difficult mother <laughs> as well who comes over ostensibly to help but of course is making everything worse. So, um, they also have to, you know, they, they have a lot of, let's say, quite a few tense, tense issues that they have within within their family life or, you know, relationships that they also have to get a grip on. So, yeah, there are there are quite a few minor characters who are quite important to the plot and uh, to understanding, you know, how they're going to be able to work this out and improve their own lives.
1: Man, I'm good. Man, you better get this three me. <laughs> and there's lots of Rome. You. Oh my goodness! I should
0: have said Rome is a character in the book too, because of course, um, you know, as you know, because you said you you know Rome, it's a beautiful city. So a lot of people have told me that Rome is a is a secondary character in this book. So wow,
1: <laughs> that's probably the most oh important
0: goodness.
1: one. Oh my goodness! Now, once you got started writing, you said you, you, it, it took you years to really sit down and start writing your first novel, but you were mm-hmm. on a roll. So within about a, a year of releasing Three Coins, you wrote and published Dark Blue Ways. Could you please give us an mm-hmm. overview of Dark Blue Waves?
0: Sure. That is a, I, I, I call it an ode to uh, Jane Austen because I love Jane Austen. <laughs> and so I so love the idea of being able to do a story of a modern woman. She's she's studying for her master's degree in English literature. She has the opportunity to go on a Jane Austen seminar in Bath in the, in the United Kingdom in England, which is where Jane Austen, you know, used to live and wrote two, two of her novels, are set there. And um, while she's there, she has an accident and actually travels back in time to 1813. So she's living in the same house in the Crescent. She, she winds up waking up there in 1813. And, of course, is very confused about how this happened and how she will get back but But, the thing that I wanted to play with there is this is a woman who, on paper knows and loves the the time so she has studied Jane Austen she's done everything on this she's writing her thesis on social customs of the time in the in uh in the era uh, but it's a different thing on the page and to live that right because because she can't she has to pretend that she 's from the time, and she starts getting confused i mean the the war of uh, you know the the war of eighteen twelve that we fought was it only eighteen twelve did it continue into eighteen thirteen are England and America still enemies so she 's finding herself in a lot of trouble for these little things or not knowing this is the time of Napoleon, which battles were going on there where are we so and just things like you know wearing a corset, which she hadn't you know she knows about it, but she's never worn it before. She actually does know how to ride, but she certainly never had to ride side saddle. So it it was fun for me to do this and um, for her to go back in time and to have the difficulties with that, but also to reflect on the differences in time. To have this opportunity to go back, so she winds up making a very good friend who lives in the house, whose portrait she had looked at in modern days every day. Um, And also she had this, so this is Emma Huntington. And um, Emma Huntington has a very um, handsome brother, uh, Sir Edward, but he's also very proud and, um, you know, a bit arrogant and a little bit difficult, a little bit brusque. So she has to... She has to be very careful how she handles things in this situation, and she never doesn't know yet if she's going to go back or how to go back, so she has to discover that, too. So that was just super fun for me because I love the period. I, I love Jane Austen. I love the idea of going back in time. And um, the title is also, Denise, one that I lifted from something else because Dark Blue Waves is from a poem of Lord Byron who was contemporary poetry in 1813. And it's a beautiful poem called uh, uh, Child uh, Held Pilgrim about the dark blue waves of the Mediterranean that carry you on to unknown lands, because Byron was a traveler. He traveled all over and um my character janet feels a real affinity with that cuz she also is obviously in <laughs> uncharted waters and uh being back in 1813 and uh you know trying to discover things anew so so yeah i had a lot of themes that i could friendship love um, how things change the slower pace of life at the time then of course looking at the negative side of it You know the servants in the house who have to do everything the children who die very uh, young There's a measles outbreak that she has to help with So there were a lot of a lot of fun things for me to be able to to explore with that one.
1: Oh my good Oh my goodness now um, I, I If this give this part of story away to know don't, don't tell just let me know But you said she had an accident. What time period was she initially in, and what was the accident? What did she get in a machine by accident? What was the accident that took her back to time?
0: The time period is modern day, so she's she's there, you know, contemporary to when she is in um, when she is in Bath on her seminar, and accident kind of is the way to time travel that she discovers, so um, I wouldn't want to give it away how, but I can okay. suggest that there's a, a famous painting involved without giving too much of it or giving something. <laughs> Interesting.
1: So so, so, you, you talked about the woman named Emma who shows up in the book as well. D- does someone named Emma show up in each of your novels? Just curious, and if so, is there a reason for that?
0: Oh, that is a very good question. But no, in this, you're right. There, there were in these two, but um, but it was just it was just by chance that it was that it was this one. No, it is a nice name, however, I don't have M as in any of the others. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's my grandmother's name. So it's, it's very fun name. It's a beautiful name. name. Yes, yes, yes. It's, I it's, love uh, it. What have readers been saying about Dark Blue Waves? And do people who appreciate Jane Austen's work, do they find themselves attracted to the novel?
0: Yeah, I think I mean I did write it in a way that you don't have to know Jane because I, I I do get that that people might like to read it without um, without having read it. So I think that there's maybe things that you appreciate more because there are certain aspects that are let's say similar to Jane Austen or people will recognize for this and that. But but I think that um, I've had people who said that they hadn't read Jane Austen. I've had a few. This this makes me super happy that they say. Um, that now they want to, that they've never gotten through uh, Pride and Prejudice, but now they want to read it, and that just thrills me when I when I hear a reader say that. <laughs>
1: does Janet, the star of the show in Dark Blue Ways, does she? I've 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 watched like what was it The Time Traveler's Wife? I didn't care for the movie, and I didn't read the book, but did, the, he kept going in and out of different scenes. The time periods. Does Janet move? Does she stay in the past, and and then pop back into the future, and then she's just in. The, I mean, in the, today's time, or does she go back and forth and back and forth?
0: So she starts in the future and goes back and then she's a difficult decision because on the one hand of course she's she's very worried about being caught out because she does get herself into trouble. She is a modern woman and so sometimes she is saying the wrong thing and, and getting herself into trouble. And then there might be a kind of a growing uh, love interest with uh, Sir Edward, right? <laughs> so that also creates some problems since He's very uh, wealthy and handsome, and there are other women who are interested in him. So this uh, creates a bit of a conflict, let's say, with with some of the women of the time. Um, but she has a hard choice to make about whether she will go back, whether she because she there are a lot of things that she likes about. Um, about going back to 1813, it's a period she already loves. But then, you know, she forms this deep friendship with uh, Emma Huntington, and she has friends, and she they spend, you know, evenings instead of I don't know, watching television or <laughs> doing the, they read poetry together. She likes the slower pace. Ah. She likes the discussion she has. So, so she starts reflecting too on which life she wants to have, and so this will become an integral part of. Uh, going back, and whether or not she wants to be able to get back to the past again.
1: Interesting. Oh, I love how your stories are so well developed. That said, definitely want to talk about in the shadow of the, and please say it, correct me, Apennines, if you could tell us. You can say it also. It's either
0: Apennines or Apennines.
1: Apennines, Okay. If you could tell us about, uh, give us a synopsis of in the shadow of the Apennines.
0: Yeah, that is uh, so. The Apennine Mountains. For those that don't know, the the so Italy is very long, obviously the boot, and so in the north you have the Alps and the Apennines cut all the way through Italy, right through the boot, basically, right down to the bottom of the boot. And um, the the region that this is is called Abruzzo. So Abruzzo is the region that it, you you know Rome. So it's directly. East from Rome, it's on the other side of Italy, on the Adriatic, and it's a very mountain. They have the seaside, but most of it is very mountainous, and um, it was quite isolated until until some you know basically they didn't build a highway there until the 1980s. So it was actually quite isolated, and when a lot of this story takes place pre World War One, so uh, in 1914, because Italy entered into the war a little bit later in 1915, it's incredibly isolated. So that's a dual timeline. I have a contemporary story of an American woman who uh, is also going through a very difficult time and uh, has gone through a difficult divorce, has lost her job at a university and wants to start life over and perhaps foolishly decides that uh, she'd like to buy something far away from it all and uh, moves to this town in Abruzzo, this region in the mountains, so a kind of a mountain cottage that she has to fix up. Um, and uh, things are going very well at first. She really loves it. She's having times, but she's reflecting over her life and things, how they worked out, and maybe mistakes made. But things are going genu- generally quite well, um, and she's making friends and, and improving her Italian, which uh, you know she needs to improve living there. Uh, and then something happens. She is starts doing with social media. She starts creating a blog, and she realizes she gets lots of likes when she speaks about kind of how backwards the people in the town are and some of the things and the, <laughs> and the things like that. So she gets herself into a lot of trouble. Someone in the town discovers it, and then she's just very isolated. Um, and there are some other reasons that create problems for her because there are a few little twists in there. But at that time when she's at her lowest, she discovers in her house um, a kind of hidden nook where uh, where there has been a trunk that has been there for many years. And in there she finds the diaries and uh, letters of a past inhabitant of the house. Who um, who had lived there, and she starts reading those when she doesn't have any friends, when she's pretty much isolated from the town, and she's completely engrossed in this story. And this is taken from a real story of a town um, that was completely uh, this this girl who had been a shepherdess and had been very young had lived in a town called Peshina which had been almost completely destroyed by an earthquake in 1915. So we see the build up to that moment of the earthquake and Italy's entry into World War I through the eyes of this little girl, this shepherdess, a 16 year old um, and the years that pass and all of the things that happened to her and how strong she had to be because her whole family uh, basically perished in the in the earthquake so we see this uh, going through the diaries, and her also finding certain parallels with her own life, or allowing it to reflect on her own life, and and seeing the strength of this, of this girl, and through this, and who had who had then moved to her house, so she liked the idea that they had lived in the same you know house a, a century <laughs> apart, but she gets a lot mm. of strength from this, and also a, a big understanding of the region, and um, yeah, and so this this makes a big difference to her.
1: So this is Samantha who's become isolated, and mm-hmm. the little girl, I'm assuming, is Elena? Yeah. Elena? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So how how are they – how old is Samantha? Elena was 16. Earthquake hits 1915, a whole family perishes. Samantha finds her diaries and is just amazed at how the strength in this girl. And, and Samantha now is isolated, similar to Elena, before from a different mm-hmm. cause and she's got to be strong. So I wanted to ask you mm-hmm. this, how are Samantha and Elena alike and how are Good. they different and how old is Samantha?
0: Yeah, she is uh, 45 when she goes there. So oh, there's a huge okay. difference in in age. Of course, Elena was uh, 16 when the diaries start and then the diaries continue on, but a 16 year old i think in uh, 1914 when the diary start of course is probably more mature than the, <laughs> than the average 16 year old you know today also because she had to make her living she had to be on her own so she had to grow up very quickly um, However, that being said, um, she winds up, of course, their lives are completely different, I mean, you know, uh, certainly coming from, because this town was really very incredibly poor even before the earthquake, and after the earthquake, obviously, much uh, much worse, which is how Elena finds her way to this town where uh, Samantha will one day move into that house. Um, and Elena, you know, you see a lot of the the poverty of the region and the difficulties that they they had because they didn't really have land. They would work for yeah for the more the noble families, let's say, who were of the of the region. And um, yeah, it, it was a very difficult life. And I, I came to this story why I want to do it, one because Pescina is a real place. And I saw this town, I went to this town and was amazed because so many of the buildings that had been destroyed in this devastating earthquake are still like that. They were left like that. So you walk mm. through the town and some are fully intact and some are completely destroyed. And um, there's an Italian author whom I love called Ignazio Silone, and he was from that town, and he survived the earthquake, and his whole family perished. And he wrote uh, beautiful books about, um, he fictionalizes it, but it's that town and that that region and the poverty, the terrible poverty. And and his books brought a lot of attention to that, about how, you know, not that far from Rome actually, but in you know, Abruzzo, how there were some of these really poor towns that were just not, um, you know, the people were, were incredibly, it, it was an incredibly difficult time for them to have enough food, to, to have decent lodging, and it was the beginning of the century. And then, of course, with World War One, that just made it worse. So, um, you know, since so many of the young men died and didn't come back. So, um, you know, it is, it, it, it was, interesting for her because here this American woman, Samantha, who comes over and is quite arrogant with the town members and looks down on them, she starts to understand all the things that she does not know. So she also, aside from finding the parallels with Elena's life, even though they're very different, um, she also realizes that she's uh, she hasn't been very understanding about their culture, about their background or, or having respect for enough respect for the people there. So she also looks at her own actions and uh, and realizes that she hurt people from what she didn't know.
1: Oh my gosh, you develop stories so well. I'm to you. you know, you you may I've had authors on off the shelf. I'm telling them like if you could get on I tell them, man, you gotta get on podcasts and if you go to book festivals, get on a panel. If you talk about your stories, everybody will want to go out and buy your books. you, you can. <laughs> It's hard as an author to put it all in the description. If When you put it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble, et cetera, it, you almost need to hear the author talk about the characters and the story development, and then that's when it really gets truly, truly rich. Now, <laughs> as we come down to this, like about ten minutes left, is drink wine and be beautiful is this your first published short story collection you kind of veered off with this one and what inspired you to write a book a collection of short
0: stories yeah well denise i have always loved short stories and actually this collection was kind of why i became a self-published author because when i started um, when I started wanting to write, I went to writing conferences and I would meet with agents and and publishers and everything and would go to these and I would always kind of test the waters and see how what they thought about short story collections and they all of them pretty much said, no, 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 like, forget it. They don't sell, it's not that, which is unfortunately true because I love short stories, but it is true that today short story collections, not individual short story don't sell so well but then i said well but if i'm self published i can do it myself <laughs> and i can there and i can go. see you know it's if it sells five copies, I'll be happy. If it, uh, but at least I will feel like I did it, because I love short stories. These drink wine and be beautiful is yet you're starting to notice a pattern. Probably a, <laughs> a title that I stole from another far better writer that that is uh, from E. M. Forrester. So it's speaking about Italians. It's uh, speaking. There's a wonderful book that he wrote called, uh, although it's not his best book. He has so many wonderful novels, but. Um, where angels fear to tread, which is a beautiful passages about Italy in that book. And he has these English characters coming, uh, you, you know, you used to come with horse and carriages, right, to get to Italy. So they have to travel all the way from England and they're passing through the Germanic countries and he says, he says that they, they, they passed through the mountains and the river shrank and the, uh, the hills grew lower and the people ceased Drinking beer and being ugly, and instead began to drink wine and be beautiful. Uh. So it's actually quite a nice uh, thing to say about the Italians. So I said, "Well, that's a great line. I'm going, <laughs> I'm going, of course, take it for my title, because my short stories are all based um, either in Italy, with either Italian women." or uh, foreign women who are living here and often uh, the italian women let's say there's some connection to italy all the time so there but all different stories it's all, women's fiction so it's very much when i heard you speak about your w- one true self how you opened the segment i mean i i consider that that uh, we probably have a similar outlook with what we were doing with our with our books with this because for me it's all about different aspects of self realization so women who are uh... going through divorce widowhood motherhood i have one about a a young mother who has to move to rome because her husband uh, comes here and she's having she's really struggling she's having a really hard time and she doesn't have any friends and she doesn't know things so one you know one friendship can really change her life Um, I have uh, older women who have been friends all their lives and then they have the big fight that might destroy their friendship because they both have one is very liberal, one is very conservative and they they always fight about this, but one fight that breaks up and what will happen after a lifetime together. Um, I have other ones that uh, show you know what happens in a snowstorm. We rarely get snow in Rome, but in Rome at a snowstorm, two women at the airport exchange suitcases. And this winds up very strangely kind of changing their lives and changing their perspective. So there are lots of stories like this that look at different aspects of life and different stages of life and um, kind of finding this inner strength that that you can find or looking at your life in a different way. So so for me, I had a wonderful time. I love short stories. I want to write more short stories and um, I'm fortunate that it's been selling quite well. And people uh, tend seem to like it so far, so it just I'm thrilled. I mean, for me, I, I wanted to get this out in the world, so I will go back to novels. My next one will be a novel, but I've so loved writing this short story collection.
1: Awesome! Oh my goodness! You know, you see, like with Kindle Bella and a lot of people, it could be time as well. We were talking earlier about how kids play outside more now. They have technology, so they're busy with video games and. Just virtual this virtual world that they so uh, <laughs> connected with, but people time our lives are so busy, most people though yeah. a short story is maybe the most a lot of readers they don't want to read more than twenty thirty pages they don't want to read like a three hundred page or two fifty page novel, so they're attracted to a short story mm-hmm. so so kudos mm-hmm. to you now we've talked about, and you have just. Oh my gosh! Everything you've written sounds so just engaging, so well developed. I have to ask you this: What what writing process do you follow, Kimberly? Do you do outlines, character sketches? How do you take a story from concept to finish?
0: Yeah, I I unfortunately, Denise, I do none of that. I am a terrible pantser. I am I I, <laughs> I am a pantser from the beginning. I know my I, I first of all I always write. I mean I do make an effort to always write even if it's just a little bit I, I do tend to write a lot, and I tend to luckily write quite quickly, which is good, but I need to develop everything on the page. I mean, I always have an idea of the themes I want to have. For me, um, setting is very important. I mean, my, my stories all have a strong setting in them and or a sense of history, some period in history that I want to look at, so those I always have a clear idea on. But otherwise, I have to develop it on the page, so that's how I do it. And I know some people are so good about outlining and doing whole character sketches and everything, but I just found that it just slows me down a lot doing it because I don't develop it in the way that I want to. So, of course, I go back and I read it multiple times, and then I'll make changes and things like that, but I have to, I have to understand my characters on the written page. I'm I'm not I'm completely unable to do all of the wonderful plotting that everyone can do. I just cannot do that. So um, so now when whatever I find craft class classes I, I do look for that. Whatever
1: you. you describe your characters are well developed in the way you. Whatever works for you, and, and I would say most of the people <laughs> we've had on the show are right just the way you say you do. Can you share oh, three God, to four? <laughs> th- yes. Can you share three to four steps that you found to be effective? at getting the word out about your your short stories and your books.
0: Yeah, so I mean in in general of course as you know the marketing is uh, probably the hardest aspect right because this idea that you can just write a book and then it'll get out there and people will find it is completely yeah, <laughs> not another no, uh, way to do it, it you no know, matter works. whether you're traditionally published whether you're self published yes. you're going to be marketing so i think yes. people just have to understand that from the <laughs> from the get go yes. um, i actually do like marketing I, I i have an mba and my focus is strategy and marketing so I have done a lot of strategy and marketing in my life for other things. So uh, now I'm trying to learn better how to do it with books. So I do I do really like that. I do love being on podcasts. That's a great way to do it. I go to uh, writing conferences too, and I'm going to be speaking at a couple of. Um, uh a couple of conferences that are going to be here in Italy. So those are wonderful ways to kind of meet readers and to get out and do that. Obviously, like everyone, I have my newsletter. I have, a, you know, social media. I blog. I blog about a lot of the aspects of the books that what goes into it, the regions, because I love to travel. So I like to include tips like that. And um, yeah, just getting a lot of other uh, authors. I, I also help my friends uh, in marketing their work. I'm a big reader, so I'm a NetGalley reader, and uh, read a lot of lot of books that are there. I love getting my book out early for early reviews, and I do get it out to Kirkus and Midwest Book Review and all of the big ones for editorial reviews. That helps a lot too. So, but I think it's just constant. I get the impression. Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't know, know if you found a shortcut, but <laughs> and, and
1: I appreciate you sharing that for our listeners who themselves might be interested to, to just to, to, maybe they'll take a, whether it's blogging or something you do going on podcasts that can benefit them. And I always like to share that for our listeners so they can get just even more than the entertainment, but some other benefits from the show. Where can off-the-shelf listeners get a copy of your books?
0: Ah, Sure. Well, um, I suppose the best thing place to find everything about the books would be on my website that you already mentioned, which is Kimberly com, And there, there are the direct links to Amazon, Kobo, Barnes & Noble, um, where, you know, where you can find them all. And um, yeah, no, and and also if if you don't mind if I mention I will be having a new one out in October too, which will be set in Rome here and in the 1890s. And so that will be coming hopefully out fairly soon on NetGalley. So if you have any NetGalley readers on here, even better if they would look for uh, Rome's Last Noble Palace that will be out later this summer and I'd love early reviews so that might be a way to see whether or not they like my writing or something with one of the, with one of the early ones but all of the books, yes, are available at all of the uh, Amazon, Kobo, Barnes & Noble and um, yeah, I'm always happy for new readers and I love reviews so any, I mean, I'm always happy to get reviews and if anyone is interested on my website as well I have my newsletter so I'd be thrilled if people want to sign up for the newsletter
1: Yes. We, oh, we have just had the absolute delight, pleasure of, of having being our guest today, Ms. Kimberly Sullivan. She's the author of the books Dark Blue Ways, Drink Wine and Be Beautiful, Three Coins, and The Shadows of the Apennines, and her latest, what's the name of your, that's coming out in October?
0: That's going to be at Rome's last noble palace.
1: Rome's last noble palace. Rome's last noble palace. Look for it in October. And her website again is Kimberly Sullivan, Author. That, excuse me. dot com. K i m b e r l y s u l l i v a n A-U-T-H-O-R.com, KimberlySullivan.com. You're going to love her website. Just go over there to give yourself a treat, and then please purchase one of her books. We thank you, thank you, Kimberly, for being here with us on Off the Shelf Books this Saturday. To our guests, we we will be back next Saturday with another awesome guest. Set set it on your calendar that you're going to catch Off the Shelf Books Podcast at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or New York City Time. On Saturdays, look what you got this Saturday. You don't want to miss this. If you love books, you love stories, short stories, poems, we've had movie producers on here, all things story, just make it on your calendar. You're going to tune in to Off the Shelf Books Podcast. Kimberly, I can't thank you enough. You were just amazing. What a wonderful, wonderful guest. Thank you so, so much. Keep writing and sharing those awesome stories and novels that that you write i'll send you an email when uh, to a link when the show finishes streaming to our guests remember as i always tell you you are awesome you are amazing you are phenomenal go out and create a fabulous day for yourself kimberly thank you again bye for now
0: thank you so much denise